The last several weeks, we have been uh, looking through the book of Acts here at Richmond Hill Methodist Church. Uh, it's such an amazing book, uh, and we are uh, now finding ourselves uh, in the ninth chapter this morning, and uh, that is an actual very well-known story, uh, whether uh, you've been in the church for many, many years or just recently in the church. It's a story of, uh, of Paul's conversion, uh, a very dramatic uh, time in his life, and we will be looking at that and actually some details in that that I hope uh, maybe uh, might stand out to you and to me this morning. Sight is defined as the power of seeing, but God would not have us trust solely in what our eyes alone can see. The sight that guides a disciple's life, a gift from God, uh, is the one that, that sees Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. And yet scripture teaches us uh, that while a person may have eyes, they may not have this kind of spiritual sight. A person can be ignorant of God's working around them or even within them. Someone may see all of creation and yet fail to see in it the creator. And so this is why we pray to God and ask, give us eyes that we may see. Certainly, if you ponder the question, can a, personly, uh, can a person be spiritually blind even though they're a member of a church? Even if they fill the pew every single week, can a person be spiritually blind? And the answer to that question is absolutely they can be spiritually blind. Even though a person might be faithful in attendance, might go to a Sunday school class or a small group meeting, uh, they can actually not see the truth of who Jesus is and his workings around people and within people. We can be blind and we'll see the very fact that that was a case with Saul. It is a prayer of faith that we pray that God give us eyes for our hearts. A, uh, a song came out several years ago, probably uh, 20 years ago, that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Sight is what a man named Saul thought he had until he met Jesus. For a time, uh, God took Saul's physical sight away so that he could experience physical blindness and understand that he had actually been spiritually blind. And yet, sight is what God also restored to Saul, to see Jesus and to actually be a chosen instrument for God's mission in the world. When we were introduced to Saul, it was actually at the stoning of Stephen. That was a couple of weeks ago. We, we went through in depth about the life of Stephen and, and what he had to face and how uh, at his death Saul was there. And that witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, uh, that being Saul himself. And it says then uh, that Saul approved of that that then after he approved of that stoning of Stephen, he was going uh, within church homes and actually taking people, men and women, and taking them to prison. And so here it is that we find uh, Saul 
uh, in the very aspects of trying to destroy that which the early Christians were sharing. And uh, we will actually be looking through, starting with verse 1. Let's read the passage uh, together. I'll read aloud as you read silently and be reminded of the verses here and then come back to what Saul was going on. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Let me push pause right there. Chapter 8 actually talks about it. What we covered last week uh, was Philip going and uh, witnessing to the eunuch and then uh, that person becoming a faith and great revival was happening around all in that area. And yet all while that was going on, this is where we picked up, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes... He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and asked for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. That first verse we just read, Paul still breathing threats and, uh, and murder against the disciples uh, of the Lord uh, and went to the high priest. The interesting that it says still breathing threats. That word still would be an important word later when this same man uh, who had changed his name from Saul to Paul when he wrote to the church in Rome. He says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. God doesn't save people who've actually cleaned up their lives uh, for people, uh, actually instead for people who were dead in sin. While sinners, it was while Paul was still breathing threats that this happened to Saul, that he had an experience 
with the risen Christ. He was seeking to kill anyone who belonged to the way. And that was a designation, a, a group of people that believed uh, that they followed the way of righteousness and that Jesus Christ was their righteousness. But Paul, actually, excuse me, Saul believed that righteousness was attained from faithfully obeying God by keeping the, the religious laws and the traditions of his fathers, by excelling in the religion of Judaism. Later in his own testimony, uh, Paul would say, I am a Jew born in Tarsus who brought up in this city, educated according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He was quite proud of his heritage and how he knew about uh, his forefathers and what they taught and that he would be faithful to what he had been taught. He would actually carry out, no matter what it took, to be faithful uh, to what he had learned from early ages of life. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, and so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He knew no bounds. He would take both men and women and anyone who was actually sharing about the way. Paul didn't believe Jesus was anything other than a liar, and he got what he deserved and that Jesus was dead and no longer to ever appear. And yet, here he is, walking around uh, with this blindness even before he became physically blind. But when he has this light in front of him on the road to Damascus, and he falls from that light, he recognizes that he is in a presence of a power that is greater than himself. And he does not know to whom he is speaking, and so all he knows is that this has to be some act of God because this is a great, great power. And when he says, who are you, the next words he hears changes his life. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. This is Jesus who Paul had been persecuting. This very Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He has risen. And this has happened to Saul. And so he's utterly struck with, who is this? And when he hears it, he cannot believe it, but yet he cannot deny it. He's given that instruction, rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. It's an example uh, that we see time and time again of God's positioning people, that you obey the first instruction and you will be given a second instruction. He's actually promising Saul, I will be here with you, and you go and do what I'm telling you to do, and you will receive more instruction. It's an invitation that happens to you and to me, actually, even in real time, real space right now. Obey me on the first instruction, and you'll get the next instruction. It's actually an invitation to walk with God, the living God. The men who were traveling with him, they couldn't see anything. All they could do uh, was stand speechless, hearing the voice, but not being able to see anything. And so when Saul rises, he has to be taken by his hand. But then enters this other uh, individual who sort of becomes uh, the main character for a little bit. And his name's Ananias. And I would like to say this morning, he's quite the unsung hero uh, for Paul's conversion. 
we sort of read over it in the dramatic uh, experience that Saul has with the light and becoming blind. But Ananias has an unbelievably difficult task that is given to him by Jesus himself. When, uh, when Ananias uh, is, is spoken to from uh, his vision and from his dream, he says, uh, who, he doesn't say, who are you, Lord? He says, here I am, Lord. Saul had said, who are you? Because he did not know. He did not hear the voice. He did not understand the voice in the sense of it being Jesus. But when the Lord called to Ananias, he says, here I am. It's quite a remarkable difference in the uh, exchanges between the two. And he tells him this, uh, this mission to go to and who to go to, and immediately Ananias knows that this is an enormous, dangerous mission that God has sent for him. He's like, hold on, let's talk about it for a moment. And he realizes that it's grave danger. Saul has seen Ananias uh, coming to him in a vision, but it's, it's trust in God that Ananias believes that uh, God has said, I will go with you. Rise and go to the street called Straight is the instruction. At, at the house of Judas, look for a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying. How is it that a man who cannot see have a vision? How is it that someone who cannot physically see have a vision? I believe the answer is right there in what we just read in prayer. That Saul was praying, oh Lord, what has happened? What is going on? Please reveal what I might be able to learn and know and follow. A person who is physically blind can have a vision through prayer. It is by which we see the things of God. For Saul was praying, and Ananias says, Lord, I've heard so many things about him, and now, even now, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all uh, who are called, or calling on you and calling your name and sharing your truth. But God just says, go. I have a mission for Saul that's a huge mission. Go, for he is a chosen one to be carrying out the name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. He is the one that I have chosen to spread this out far past the Jewish traditions. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Unlike anyone else, Saul persecuted the church, but also unlike anyone else, Saul would suffer. In 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, we see Saul talking about some of that suffering much later. He says, are any of them servants of Christ? I am a better one. And then he says, oh no, actually I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jewish the forty lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, from my own people, dangers from Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers, and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, without food, and cold and exposure. God's calling did not spare Saul from suffering. It's as though he was calling him into suffering. He was persecuting the church, and yet Jesus was like, you will spread the church. You are my instrument for it to go many, many, many regions. Literally, Paul's, Saul's encounter with the risen Christ was certainly uh, profound drama and trauma, both together. The blindness healed through a Christian would have been an actual enacted parable of Saul's blindness to the reality of what the Christians were experiencing. And this unsung hero named Ananias, it's obvious that he's open and he's obedient to God, but he's also very aware that God gives missions that sometimes seem impossible. Just the very idea of actually approaching someone so dangerous gave him pause, as it would any of us. And yet, Ananias obeyed. And it was because of his act of obedience that the apostle, we are given the apostle to the Gentiles, to us. The obedience of an otherwise unknown disciple transformed the nature of the Christian reach because Ananias was obedient to follow God, to listen to the voice of God and say, Here I am, Lord. Come what may, here I am, Lord. That in talking to this man named Saul, a transformation happened that would reach people of unknown regions. So Ananias goes and he lays hands upon him. He actually refers to I, the person that you see in the vision, I am he. And then the, the scriptures describe that as that happens, uh, he as laying on of hands and the prayer happens, uh, that the filling of the Holy Spirit happens and the scales from Saul's eyes happen to fall off and he regains his sight. And immediately he rises and says, I must be baptized. And he actually takes food because he hasn't been eating. He knows, and we all know, the body needs food and nourishment. He takes food, he's strengthened, and for days in, he stays with the disciples at Damascus. But it's not long before that, before his life becomes endangered, and people are starting to uh, question him and come against him with great, great anger, just as he was doing prior to the experience with Jesus that transformed his entire heart and mind and soul. And the trajectory of his life was completely changed. Saul's testimony is a conversion uh, that is told three different times in the Bible. Uh, but he being the author of most of the New Testament, he weaves his own commentary before his life with Jesus and then after his life with Jesus to show how great and how wide and how deep and how powerful is the grace of God. 
that God would save not only uh, just those who are actually righteous, but those who are unrighteous. That in fact, if God would save Saul and rescue Saul, he could and would save anyone. The tension that those early disciples were feeling was, is this change in Saul really real? How can we believe what we are seeing? But God diffuses that tension with the same boldness to which Saul persecuted the church. Saul boldly preached Jesus. And I come back to what I started with. God would not have us trust in what our eyes alone can see. The sight that guides a disciple's life is spiritual sight to see Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. Sight was what a man named Saul thought he had until he met the risen Christ. Sight was what he thought he had until God gave him true sight and he really saw Jesus in the form of a transforming, risen, living God part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he realized that as he was persecuting the church, he was literally persecuting the risen Jesus. Do we have sight? Can we see Jesus in the midst of us? Or are we so bound up in our legalistic ways, the things that we've been taught from years past or from right now or from things that we've thought we've understood the scriptures to say, are we so bound up that sometimes we're blind to the people that are right in front of us, needing the very grace that's been given to us ourselves? We gather each week online, Together in person, we read our scriptures or listen to podcasts to hear the gospel, the good news, that while we were once dead in our own trespasses, God can make us alive in Christ. That when we were once enemies of God, God's saving power through Jesus Christ is available to all who believe in him. For all who believe in Christ, God gives us power to see. May it be. May it be that we are praying the prayer, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, and help me see you in my midst. Whether I am in the sanctuary, whether I am at the beach, whether I am on vacation, whether I am at my office desk or around the people that I work with daily, whether I am amidst strangers at a fabulous concert and these people are not acting any way that I'm enjoying but I how I am in the midst of a situation that God is always at work oh God help me see the way you see help me have eyes to see Jesus for who he is and oh Lord help me have strength and courage to be your vessel. May it be. May it be with all of us. Let us pray. Gracious God, 
humbly we pray, open the eyes of our heart and embolden us to forgive those who sometimes act unforgivable. Embolden us to see others as made in your image. Help us, O oh Lord, to have eyes to see your hand at work, that we might join in that work alongside you. O oh Lord, at times we confess we are blinded by our own selfishness. We are blinded by legalistic ways that we think you could never depart from. Oh God, please help the scales fall from our eyes that we might see you and all your glory and all your compassion and all your grace. And we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.